Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? Goodness, what a jam, huh? What a jam. <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that song. Um, I don't know if I'm going to actually leave that part in the video because it may get struck because obviously I don't have copyright authorization to do so, but um, I'll decide later. Uh, for those, if I decide to cut it out, it's very, very important that everybody search for Rich Men North of Richmond. You can find it on Spotify. I've been listening to it all day. It's such a damn banger. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that I don't want to overstate it. Okay. I really don't. I don't want to overstate this, but I feel like this is a bit of a tipping point. I really, really do. And this ties into so many different things. So I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to break down a song for you. What am I doing? Who am I? I promise not to cry this week, <laughs> but seriously, um, this is the second time that I can think of in the past month that we have, or, you know, six weeks, whatever it's been, um, that we've had this kind of viral sensation thing that comes from the non mainstream. People will say that it's from the right wing, the conservatives, whatever, but it's just like, it's just really like an organic explosion of growth. And the first example, as I'm sure you could already suss out would be The Sound of Freedom, which was a, uh, you know, a movie that was based off of child trafficking, which is obviously awful. But it became a smash hit, did over $100 million at the box office. I haven't checked it. That was like a month ago. That's where it was at. So it's probably twice that. I don't even know. Uh, but it was basically like a word of mouth thing. And once same thing as what's happening with this there was this massive like uproar from both sides where massive praise on one side and on the other side there was like this denigration they're just like look at these these idiots they like this they, they like to protect children <laughs> these these QAnon lunatics these idiots uh, and, it, and it feels a very similar thing is happening here and it's particularly for one line so I'll get into that later but the reason I think that it's an inflection point is that, well, I mean, obviously this is a very novel thing. We haven't seen this before where you, you have the Bud Light, uh, you know, walk away campaign that just absolutely demolished them, has now forced Anheuser-Busch to spin off a bunch of other beer brands that they also owned. And all because Bud Light went from the number one beer in America to not being saleable. Like they can't sell it at stores. <laughs> there's, there's video of, uh, like the, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the name of it, that, that biker convention happens every year in, uh, I think it's Utah or Nevada or something. It doesn't matter. Point being, they had this, they have all these booths set up for Budweiser. The whole street's filled with bikers. All the other stands are filled with people. Budweiser, empty. Here we are, Sturgis, Bud Lights at midweek. Any improvement? That's what we hope. Bolts of Honor is here. We're hoping business picks up a little bit, but guys, midweek, oh my goodness, wow. You guys, are we seeing any uptick in business here? A little bit, okay. Okay. All right. We're seeing, hey, let's keep it positive, right? Let's keep it positive. Maybe by the end of the week. Thank you for being here. Thank you for doing what you're doing. We appreciate the hard work and employees. We covered this early on in the week, guys. Take a look. Sturgis is absolutely jam-packed. The Harley tent is packed. The BMW tent is packed. But Budweiser having a tough go. So I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe we are at an inflection point, a tipping point, if you will, maybe the very, very early stages of it. And let's not assume that it's going to lead to some sort of victory parade, uh, but I think it's important. I think that it's important to identify reasons for hope when you see them, and I'd be lying if this song didn't make me hopeful. And let me explain why. Well, look, I already did explain it on Twitter, so let me go ahead and read it to you and uh, see what you guys think about my breakdown. I said, there has already been a lot of ink spilled about this song, but I still feel compelled to comment. 
I'm hesitant to do so because I hate seeing beautiful art dragged into the culture war arena, but since it's inevitable anyways, here I go. Aside from being one of the most heartfelt songs ever written, to me, it speaks to the part of America that feels forgotten. The blue-collar laborer that gets demonized despite only wanting to be left alone. The kind that only ever wanted to focus on family and God. The kind that gets no Hollywood representation as it doesn't check a DEI box. The kind that news anchors derisively describe as flyover country. The kind that understands how broken and corrupt this system is, so much so that most voted for Trump just because they wanted to say fuck you to all of it. It isn't, pol it isn't polished. It isn't focused. Excuse me. It isn't polished. It isn't focus grouped. It isn't overtly political. It is American. It speaks to the soul of this country. A soul that most DC elites had thought and hoped had been extinguished. Oliver Anthony breathed life back into it. For that, they will attempt to paint he and, uh, and it as something worthy of derision. But in truth, it is beauty. It is art. It is an ode to America. The real America. And you cannot convince us otherwise. And I know that's way over the top and cringe and too flowery. And Clint, you're just such a blah, whatever. I know people get mad. I don't care. Um, I met every word of it. And, and I think it's true. I think that it is symbolic of, I mean, obviously a market demand that's not being filled first and foremost, as you've seen by this incredible, uh, you know, just kind of just unbelievable rise of, of his popularity. He's got five fucking songs in the top 10 on the billboard right now. He was an unknown five days ago, five songs. Okay. It's bonkers. So there's obviously market demand, but why? Right. Rolling Stone wrote some article where it describes it as like the right wing's new favorite hit song. And it's all because it, uh, it's, it's negative towards people on welfare. That that's, that's their takeaway, right? That's all that they got from it. So let me break down some of these lyrics and I'll, I'll explain my, the reason I think this is such a big deal. Starts out with, I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay. So I can sit out here and waste my life away, drag back home and drown my troubles away. Obviously that's fairly straightforward. Working a dead end job doesn't, if he's getting paid decently, it doesn't buy what he needs to be able to purchase inflation lamentation uh kind of masked in there in my opinion and uh, and then he goes home and he drinks his troubles away so he's you know describing alcoholism which for those that don't know he has already came out and said yes as of a few years ago he was pretty much an alcoholic and uh decided to start writing songs and here we are really in, in, an incredible like it's a it's an american story within an american story it's a guy who's like down down and out kind of life falling apart young man and he, uh, he finds stardom just by hard work and kind of spilling his guts and getting his shit together. It's awesome. Americana, if you will. He says, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Very populist messaging, bringing the, the listener in, making you feel as if you are uh, along for the ride with him. Uh, very Trumpian, I might add. Very, very Trumpian. He says, I wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's how I think all of us have felt like I have felt that way very starkly for the past three years. So I, I, I think a lot of people have felt that way. I've felt that way a lot longer than that. I felt it probably since like 2012 when we started to do this race shit where we were just like, if you if you didn't identify people based off of the race, you were racist. And it was like, what is happening? So backwards. So um, I felt it for about a decade now. And I think a lot of people have. And get, then the hook, obviously, he says, living in the new world with an old soul. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's a kind of hinting at the new world order. Gr granted, everyone can read this however they want. You don't have to take my uh, dissection of this as like the gospel. This is his song. I, this is my reading of it. Okay. So calm down. Uh, he says, these rich men uh, north of Richmond. So Richmond, Virginia is like not far away from dc so I, I would imagine he's hinting at dc i would take it so far as to the you know federal reserve central bankers but that's my read of things i think he's just hinting at dc he said lord knows they all just want to have total control yep uh want to know what you think want to know what you do and they don't think you know 
but I know that you do. I love that line because he's saying, you know, obviously the spying apparatus, uh, you know, the algorithms where they're able to to look <laughs> look after basically what what everyone's doing, even on a collective level, they're able to model it and figure out kind of like where we're headed. Um, but the the line I like the most is that he says, and they th- and they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Um, once again, it's kind of an appeal to the intelligence of the everyman, which is just terribly lacking when it comes to Hollywood or DC or, or the news. Any anyone who's our alleged betters, these people that talk down to anybody that's not, uh, you know, some DC liberal. And uh, but he's acknowledging, like they think. Basically, he's saying they think we don't know what they're doing to us, but we do. And I know that all of you listening, you know it too. That's awesome. Cause that's how I feel. That's how I feel when I talk to people about this stuff. I'm like, even if you don't know explicitly, I know, you know, I know, you know, the shit's fucked up. I know. Uh, and he says, cause your dollar ain't shit and it's taxed to no end cause of Richmond, North of Richmond, uh, obviously Richmond being Richmond, North, uh, North Virginia. Oh, by the way, he's saying that song in North Carolina today. So he's, and that, that's, that's a fucking at a, uh, a uh, what's it called? Like a farmer's market, like a just a random farmer's market in North Carolina, and they turn out a thousand plus people to listen to this kid who no one knew of a week ago. Just amazing. I wish politicians would look out for miners, M-I-N-E-R-S, and not just miners on an island somewhere. Shout out to Jeffrey Epstein, <laughs> Epstein's Island. <laughs> that one is not very well hidden, but it is clever and. Uh, and worth saying, in my opinion, he says, Lord, we got folks in the street, ain't got nothing to eat and the obese milk and welfare. So, uh, taking a shot at people that are on welfare, despite being not starving. And this to me is a massive callback to, and a lot of people are going to say it's a callback to like eighties Reaganism, Reaganomics, whatever. I think this is just really a callback to what I always thought about America is like, yeah, it's, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with asking for help when you need it. But if you are able to eat so much that you're actually overweight, maybe you don't need to be taking tax money. Like maybe you should actually be working for your money. Just a thought, you know, the whole lift yourself up from the bootstraps. I still think that's good advice. Now, it's not to say that there aren't exceptions where someone has a disability and you they need assistance. I would prefer it come from the church, of course, but uh, his point is well taken. I think that, well, he continues. He says, well, God, if you're five foot three and you're 300 pounds, taxes ought not to pay for your bags of fudge rounds. <laughs> one of the funniest lines ever written. Um, I think the point's clear on that one. He says, Young men are putting themselves six feet in the ground because all this damn country does is keep on kicking them down. And that is tragically true. You can listen to my masculinity is good. Actually episode from a week ago to hear me, you know, lament the treatment of men in this country or really just young people in this country, everyone in this country, anybody that's not in the, uh, the rich and powerful in our inner circles. He says, Lord, it's a damn shame what the world's gotten to for people like me and people like you. Wish I could just wake up and it not be true, but it is. Oh, it is. I, I want to sing it. <laughs> Living in the new world with an old soul. These rich men north of Richmond. Lord knows they all just want to have total control. Want to know what you think. Want to know what you do. And they don't think you know, but I know that you do. Because your dollar ain't shit and it's taxed to no end. Because of rich men north of Richmond. I've been, and then he finishes it with a call back to the beginning. I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours for bullshit pay. So, Clint, why are you doing this? Why are you breaking down a song? I know. It's it's corny. I'll admit it. Um, but yeah, what the real reason I wanted to talk about this is that what libertarians talk about, what I talk about all the time, fails to reach the vast majority of people. And there's something just so powerful about a song that reaches into the soul and it expresses a truth and an honesty about the plight of your fellow man, your fellow American in this case, that is hard to, it's hard to quantify, 
and more importantly, it's hard to express and then be processed and understood. And it, it just cuts through all of that. Like I could explain that this song in my, in my humble opinion would be, uh, basically what the, the message is, is that we're being taken advantage of by central banks. Like that's my, that's where I would go with it. If I was writing it, it doesn't make it explicit. It doesn't have to, um, but what it does do is it just brings in the everyman who understands that they are, they're struggling, man. They're struggling. And it says, I get it. I understand. I know what you're going through. And, you know, like I said in that, that tweet where I kind of broke it down, I think there's a fucking huge forgotten portion of this country. And I don't just mean white people. So don't, don't read it like that, please. I mean, I mean, that's, that's certainly a group that isn't allowed to be talked about with any sort of sympathy. That's for sure. But just kind of like the, the poor, you know, like if you're talking about the poor in this country, it's just about like handouts. Like that's what the Democrats always talk about. Got to give them more. Got to give them more. There's never really a conversation about like, why? Why is this so fucked up? I feel like the libertarians are the only ones that really do talk about it. Because honestly, I think we're the only ones that either A, understand it, or B, are telling the truth about it. Because we don't have some overlord that's you know withholding our money if we, if we tell the truth about this. And here's the truth. I'm going to say it explicitly. IMF, World Bank, they're able to... Uh, essentially using the ESG parameters, including the United Nations, they're able to dictate policy uh, on the governmental level. So that means on the national level over most of the globe. There was news recently about, I forget which country it was, I think it was Niger. And they were talking about how they were, I think they were banning gay marriage or they were criminalizing or something, something that I obviously, I wouldn't support it personally. Um, but instead of just going, well, that's their culture, you know? We're not the global hegemon, of course. We're liberal Democrats, so we're not going to dictate what they do over there. We respect other cultures. Of course we do. No, 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 no. They say uh, via, I think it was the IMF, but it could have been the World Bank. Someone was going to withhold funding, withhold a loan to them. You see? See the control there? There is. No, that's the liberal world order that they talk about a lot. That if you don't go along with whatever the modern variant of liberalism i think it's shit liberalism personally but they think it's moral supremacy and they have a very neoconservative view of the the rest of the globe when it comes to spreading it as in they will do it with bombs if necessary and in this case they were going to withhold money which obviously i don't think we should be giving money to these countries anyway so i don't mind that but i do mind it when it's done under the pretenses of we will withhold it unless you accept our woke worldview, gay marriage or whatever has to be legal. See what I'm saying? Very paternalistic. Not saying that Niger, you know, politicians are correct in going that way, but I think people have a right to rule themselves. And I don't like it when we use kind of a financial uh, imperialism, which is what I think this song, without saying it explicitly, is hinting at. It's identifying whether it means to or not, is that there is a real disconnect between the powerful and those that exist on the world, on the planet, you know, like uh, all of us, <laughs> the people that actually like make everything go, not the politicians, because they don't really make anything go. They extract and they distribute and that's about it. They're kind of middlemen thieves. They don't actually accomplish anything that's to the benefit of people, in my humble opinion. Uh, but they certainly do extract a lot of wealth, as he laments in this song, where he says that taxing our worthless dollar. Well, the obvious lesson in here is that the dollar is becoming worthless because they're printing so much of it. They are counterfeiting our hard-earned life savings. And a billion libertarian and the Fed rants doesn't get that message across as well as one song. Just think about that. Think about how how many hours, years of our lives we have spent trying to just explain this to people. 
and more people understood and resonated with that message just because it came in a nice tidy little musical package that you don't have to explain it they're like yeah this is fucked up and then once their brains turned on to it then you go hey just so you know this is why this is why this is happening and that's what i'm doing with this episode if you haven't figured it out yet i'm trying to redirect some of that populist animosity towards this uh kind of nebulous concept of unfairness and say this is why you are being taken advantage of this is who's doing it and this is how because it's the truth and i'm going to say some things now that are unpopular amongst many libertarians so strap in the corporate the fortune 500 companies that are also taking from the taxpayer trough as far as I'm concerned, they can all go too. Yeah. Uh, I'm sick to death of the uneven playing field when it comes to the free market in America. Because it hasn't been free for a very long time. And this is all part of the reason why. Is that because these corporations have first not just access but first access to this trough of our money our stolen tax dollars or the money that they print which ultimately debases our savings they get access to it first as we saw during the covid hysteria when they passed all these bills cares act etc etc billions trillions of dollars just distributed to these companies that ultimately are now better off than ever because all their competitors are gone and from my vantage point listening to that song i think to myself yeah fuck all of you and i think what's really powerful about that song too is that it's like even though it's saying like even though the topic is one of rage it's saying with a uh, a sorrow to it because that's really the emotion behind it it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking that we've been taken so advantage of by, by our fellow Americans for the most part. These fucking scumbags can't just stop being so greedy. And I know a lot of people say, well, it's the system, Clint. You know, if you were ahead of a Fortune 500 company and, uh, and you didn't take advantage of the access to the Fed window or the bills that were passed during lockdowns, well, you'd be out of a job. Okay, you're not wrong. But here's the thing. There used to be something known as morals in business. The fuck happened to that? What happened to looking out for your fellow Americans, your countrymen, above just your temporary benefit? There's a real, and maybe, maybe that's a, hey, geography. Maybe it never happened. Maybe that was never a thing. Maybe it was. I don't know. I wasn't alive. But my thought process about what America was in the late 18, early 1900s was that like there was a real patriotism, that there was a real concern for your fellow man. There was more, just a little bit more unity, just a little. God, is that gone, huh? Oh, very frustrating and sad. And you know what? If there wasn't, if that never existed, I don't care. I'm still going to, to long for it because I think it's a good goal. I think it's something that we ought to, to strive towards, that we ought to want to see in the world where we stop abusing one another to benefit ourselves. Because that used to be to the detriment of business more broadly is that if you were a piece of shit, you didn't go very far because the consumer would ultimately punish you. And if they wouldn't, well, your employees would walk because they'd feel abused. That's no longer the case. And let me explain explicitly why. Because they don't give a fuck about you because they get the majority of their sales through the government. And the government is force and fraud. That's what it is. They don't have to worry about the bottom line because the bottom line has been replaced with fiat largesse. That's it. That's the answer. They don't care about us anymore because they don't have to. And more, more importantly, not only do they not have to care about us, the average people in America, um, they really have to care about what the government says or what the central bankers say. That's true. 
that's really why the CEOs are like, even if they want to be better, maybe they do. I think some of them probably genuinely do. They can't because this system is fucked up because that's the, that's the game. And until the people that are rocking to this song start to actually internalize the message and then learn just 5% more as to why everything is so shitty until they do that, that system doesn't get fixed. Instead of having an entire litany of GOP front-running presidential candidates that say, we don't want war with Ukraine, but we do want war with the Mexican drug cartels. Until they start to say, we don't want war with Ukraine or the Mexican drug cartels because we understand that the CIA is almost certainly funding that entire operation. But instead, I'm going to take the fight to the central bankers of the world. That I am going to get us off of the fiat carousel that ultimately drives all of you into poverty and struggle unnecessarily. We're done with that. We're getting out of the UN. We're getting out of the, the IMF. We're getting out of the uh, WHO. All these multinational organizations. We're done with it. We're not doing that anymore. And we're certainly not going to go fight other people's wars on the other side of the country. We're done with all of it because we're actually going to focus on what needs to happen to the benefit of the American people. And if, if all of the people that are banging this song all weekend, if they could actually see what I'm saying now and, and internalize it and demand it, we could actually fix this. And maybe I'm being delusional. You're probably right. <laughs> but I'm still trying. I'm still trying. Because we need, we need to try. Because if we don't believe that it's possible, then it certainly is not. And I'm, I continue, perhaps naively, to believe it's possible. And let me show you what happens if my message, our message of how to remedy what ails is not paid attention to. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. will fill the void. Let's see what he has to say about it. Trump and President Biden like to boast about the prosperity that they brought to our country, but in crisscrossing America myself, I'm not seeing evidence of that prosperity. Instead, I'm seeing an America that I never thought that I'd witness. I'm seeing these giant disparities in wealth where most Americans are living on the precipice of desperation. In fact, the average income in this country is now $5,000 less than the basic cost of living. And 35% of Americans are not making enough money to pay for basic human needs. That means transportation, food, and housing. What that means is that they have to make impossible choices every day of their lives. Nothing he said is untrue so far, right? Like, the economy's not as good as Trump or Biden say. And ultimately, we need better solutions. Will he prescribe them as a Democrat? What do you think? American parents today all across our country are sitting in their living room and listening to a baby cry in the room next door and having to wonder whether that baby is $30 sick or $200 or $500 sick before they bring them to a hospital. They're choosing between medicine and food and gasoline and rent. Well, let me just say for real quick, uh, if you think that the worst case scenario for your child being ill is a $500 bill, you definitely haven't been to the hospital anytime recently because you could basically go in there for like nothing and it'll be two, two grand, three grand. It's crazy. Healthcare costs are absolutely insane. And in order to bridge that gap between their income and their needs, Americans are increasingly relying on their credit cards. We now have the greatest credit card debt in America's history. Credit card debt is $300 billion more than when President Trump took his oath of office. And the average interest rate on that credit card debt is around 22%. When the mafia does that, they call it loan sharking. When banks do it, they just call it interest. Yeah, I don't like that shot. And I know I'll lose some people with this one. And I don't give a shit because look, a credit card loan is supposed to be short term. That's the entire concept of it. It's also uncollateralized. So if you want to, to receive money that you can just walk away from by filing bankruptcy, do you think that you ought to pay a higher interest rate? I mean, obviously the answer is yes, because otherwise no one will lend you that fucking money. Okay. That's how it works. Now you can argue that 22% is too high. 
And I would say, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe it is a little bit too high. But credit card, you can get credit cards that have 14, 15, 16%, I think. I, I think. I don't ever carry a balance, so I don't even know what my, my rate is, to be honest. But um, here's the reality. You got to keep in mind, it's annualized. So if you're talking 22% and you do that, if you only uh, maintain the balance for one month, that means that you're basically paying like one and a half percent interest. So if you pay it off in 60 days, you end up paying one and a half percent. Is that, is that mafioso gouging? No, it's not. All right, 1.75, 1.9, whatever. It's not a lot of money. Um, but his broader point about how terrible, uh, you know, how, how impoverished so many people are and how close to the edge people are, like that's all legitimate. That's all legitimate. If we're doing so well, then why is it today that 57% of Americans would not put their hands on $1,000 in order to pay for an emergency? And for the first time in American history, most Americans, in fact, two thirds of us, believe that our children will be worse off than we are today. For most Americans, the American dream has turned into an American nightmare. And whatever graphs and data and statistics that government officials use to try to gaslight us into believing that everything is hunky-dory, reality is written across this country on the plywood that is boarding up all of these closed businesses on from Main Street to Union Square in San Francisco, and it's etched on the faces of the mothers and fathers who gather weekly at their kitchen table to go through the bills and try to figure out how in the world they're going to make their ends meet. And that kitchen table math seems a lot more reliable than the sunny economic projections that we're getting from our elected officials of both political parties in the White House. Because every American family knows in its bones that these tales of a booming economy don't add up. The last two administrations, like several of the administrations that preceded them, have continued to adopt policies that favor Wall Street and tech billionaires and military contractors over the American middle class. Those interests are strip mining America of its equity, of its wealth, of its salaries, and ultimately of our democracy. And both President Trump and President Biden are now running for re-election based upon these economic choices. And what that means is that if either of them get elected, you can expect more of the same. We seem to have plenty of money for all the bank bailouts and the foreign wars, but food stamps for ordinary Americans are being cut by 90%. And teachers across... Here we go. <laughs> so the, the answer, of course, is instead of handouts to Wall Street, we need handouts to Main Street. Really, Bobby? That's the answer? Damn it, man. The country are paying for school supplies out of their own pocket. It's time that Americans got a president who cared about their economy and not the war economy and the bank economy and the finance economy and the Wall Street economy and not the theoretical economy on the charts and graphs. Over the coming weeks, I'll be releasing an economic plan that focuses on ending this corrupt merger between state and corporate power that has made the six essential expenses unaffordable for most Americans. And those essential expenses are housing, food, Food, child care, utility bills, commuting to work, and getting the medical care that you need to survive. I want every American to know that you are not alone in this crisis. I want you to know that I'm going to be a president who's going to be thinking about solving your economic problems every day that I'm in the White House. The government created these problems, and you deserve a government that is going to solve them. No. <laughs> he was so close. He was so close to nailing it. Um, I'm sure some of you listening will be like, that all sounds good, Clint. I don't know why you're nitpicking. Oh, well, here's the reason why. Okay. Because the government created those problems and the government can't fix them. The people can. If you can get the fuck out of our way, we can actually fix this. And until you have a leader in this country that's willing to acknowledge to the American people that we created this problem and we cannot fix it for you. But we can get out of your fucking way. And we're sorry. <laughs> That's a message that actually gets us to a brighter tomorrow. That we're going to stop regulating this, this economy to death. Or we're going to stop inflating your currency so that, that, that you feel as if you're drowning every single day. Because that is what is actually killing this economy and killing this country. And I will agree with Bobby on this. 
we should not be creating and maintaining the military industrial complex or the alignment between big business and big government. But the only way you end that alliance is not a president who says the right things. It's actually diminishing the size of the state so that the, that alliance can no longer be so beneficial. And then, and only then, will you actually be to the other side of this thing where you can actually have corporations that stop looking to the government for every single answer and every single handout and start to think we're going to get back to capitalism to actually looking after our customers. What a concept. And if you don't do that, then you'll have more of the same. You have an enlarged state that ultimately has more power over the people, including the poor, which entrenches them into voting for whichever party has offered them the most handouts and you increase the size of the state ever more, which does not alleviate the issue. It only exacerbates it. That's the truth. That's the reality. And this is why Robert Kennedy, despite all of his good things, is ultimately more of the same, unfortunately. He's very, very close, but he hasn't quite figured it all the way out. And he's a Democrat. So should I expect him to have? No, of course not. It would be unreasonable for me to think that a Democrat would have all of the right answers just because he's good on Anthony Fauci and he's good on the FBI and the CIA and all these other things and the military industrial complex. Great on all these things identifies the fact that there's an alliance between big business and big government. Great, 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 great. Solutions, problems. His solutions are problems. They just are. Do I still want him to be the Democrat nom nominee? Fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> he would be a massive boon to um, you know freedom in this country to have a guy like that that is running on the Democrat side as opposed to what we've had in the recent history. It'd be a massive improvement. And I will continue to support him when he says the right things but i i have to be honest about his overall analysis and solutions because the solutions is what matters most because we're getting down to it right we're now talking about what will this guy do as president as the alleged most uh, powerful man in the world well if his answer is to expand and re-entrench the welfare state no thank you no thank you given you guys an update recently about the housing market and uh, I think it's time because the average 30-year mortgage is now over 7% and I have said repeatedly I expected that if the 30-year mortgage rate got over 7% it would probably be lookout below time now let me explain to you why that appears to have been wrong uh, and I don't say that lightly obviously I don't like admitting when I'm wrong but this is this chart one single chart you can look at a fucking thousand you can look at one chart and I'll and it'll tell you everything you need to know about why housing prices are not prices are not correcting. Check this out. This is the housing inventory chart over the past 25 years. As you can see in the 2005 arena, it got down to uh, 2000. What is that? That's 2 million, uh, 2 million housing units. And then boom, you have the great recession. It launches housing units up to 3.5 million for a time, uh, topping out at 4 million ever so briefly in 2009. And then ever since then, ever since then, as they maintained or decreased interest rates massively all the way down to the zero bound, it got all the way down to under a, or under a million housing use unit inventory for sale. And most... Uh, real estate professionals believe that 2 million units is kind of the equilibrium level where prices should just be steady. We have, I mean, there's a recent uptick, but it bottomed out at like, like 900,000 units for sale. That's fucking nothing. It's crazy low. Um, there's lots of reasons for it. Uh, but yeah, 30, 30 year average mortgage rates in the U S have hit 7.2%, a 23 year high. So that's the highest it's been since the year 2000. You can see that back then, in the year 2000, there was 2 million units for sale. So about half that right now. And this is just very simple supply and demand. Uh, there aren't enough houses, okay? And as someone who's fucking finally finishing building these six houses, the costs to do so are astronomical. 
and not just in material costs, but also in land, labor, everything down the line. Permits, lending now, obviously, since the interest rates have gone up a lot, it's very costly. So I don't know how the production side in terms of like actually manufacturing and producing new housing inventory will alleviate this supply shortage. So my belief is that we will likely have a recession that will ultimately drive people out of work. And then those people will sell those houses out of necessity. And that's how you will see that, that housing inventory hit the market. That's my, that's my guess. But as of now, I don't know how you see prices, prices collapsing unless there's a serious recession. Like last time it was the housing implosion that ultimately created to a large extent, created the recession as, as well as the debt binge and everything else. But uh, that was a, a, a huge leading factor. Now I think it's going to be a trailing one because it just can't be the first domino to, go, domino to go. There's not enough inventory. There's too much, too many people that want to buy, even at these elevated interest rates that they're going to look around and say, there's only a million houses for sale. I'm going to guess, I'm going to gamble that interest rates are going to come down. So I'm going to go buy right now because prices have just continued to go up, right? They've just been, so people are going to make the perhaps mistaken, but educated guess that interest rates are going to be dropped eventually. Then they'll be able to refinance. So they're just going to buy a house at these crazy astronomical record high prices with also pretty damn high, near record high over, you know, our adult lives or my adult life uh, interest rate. And they're just going to fucking lock it in and pray for the best. And as long as there's a million people that are willing to do that, which is not a lot of people, well, then that absorbs that inventory. So you're not going to see you're not going to see en enough inventory added to this market to ultimately, um, you know, put, put pressure on sellers to reduce their prices. Just telling you the truth, that chart, that one chart, you just, you cannot, it's just simple supply and demand. There ain't enough supply. There's too much demand. I can't say anything other than that. I would have expected that at these elevated interest rates, you would have lot, seen a lot of people that were saying, Oh shit, we better sell. And I think eventually people will make that calculation where it's just like, as soon as that, it, that inflection point hits, you'll see a ton of people that just go, okay, we got to sell. we got to sell. Especially people that own more than one house. They'll all put their shit on the market all at the same time. Like you could see, like, despite it being insanely low at like 1.2 million housing units available for sale, you could see that explode very rapidly. And I think we will in the not too distant future, but I don't know when because the inventory is so low right now, everybody's just going to hold on because it's an inflation hedge or so they think. Um, but when that turns, I think it'll turn super fast. So it'll be like 1.3 million units, 4 million units, <laughs> like, like within nine months or something like that. I think I honestly, I think that's what could happen. Um, so when that happens, obviously then prices will come down very rapidly, but when anybody's guess. So I just wanted you guys to be aware of, you know, obviously why it hasn't happened. Not enough supply. Very simple. Uh, and the fact that the elevated interest rates aren't scaring more people off. I'm, I'm as shocked as anybody really. Cause like the last thing I would want to do is buy a house at a 7.2% interest rate with the highest price entry point in American history. Sounds like a fucking terrible investment to me, but a lot of people are doing it still. So the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay solvent. And it is proving it once again. Um, so I apologize to you guys that, that, uh, that are waiting on the sideline, trying to get in there. This fucking market's nuts, man. Uh, but back to the original point, this is a federal reserve central banking created problem. And we're all just trying to survive. We're all just trying to keep our head above water. And it's tragic that that's how this shit show works, but it's the truth. And this is why I target so much of my anger towards the people actually responsible. And it's not this uh, nebulous North <laughs> men from uh, Northern Virginia. It is, in fact, the central bankers of the world. Get it? If you found this educational, if you enjoyed it at all, please hit the like button, share it around with your friends, and also hit subscribe. When you share it, it's the best way to, to grow a podcast. If you enjoy what I'm doing, 
please go to libertylockdown.locals.com and sign up to become a supporting member of the show or go to x.com or twitter.com and follow at Liberty Lock Pod. I am at 96,000 followers, trying to hit 100,000. And you are also able to subscribe to me over there, which gives me like five bucks a month. Nothing crazy, but it helps sustain and grow the show. And, uh, and I wouldn't be doing it without you guys. And last but not least, if you want to uh, support my work, go to toplobster.com or leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts. I will catch you guys soon with uh, Max Blumenthal and Dave Smith over the next seven to 10 days. Get out of here on this. There is a tendency, well, let's just stick back to the summer of 2020, right? The summer of love. There was a lot of op-eds written about how rioting was this, the, the voice of the unheard, those that were not being listened to. Well, I would encourage you, the state, to listen to the voice of the unheard in this moment. Not, not in a threatening way, just in like, hey, there is, a, there is an obvious need. <laughs> there is an obvious demand, if I'm being honest, that you start to listen to the everyman in this country, that you stop uh, you know, denigrating them, that you stop treating them as if they are something lesser, it's quite clear that that is the reason that Donald Trump has been so successful as a politician in this country is that, as many people have noted, he is the one politician in America who seems to genuinely not hate the American people. Whether or not he does, I don't know. But that's the vibe you get, that he's actually listening. And y'all aren't. You aren't listening to us. You aren't listening to the average Joe in this country. And I think that this song, uh, Mr. Anthony, the, the song that Mr. Anthony wrote was kind of a, a siren cry to that desire, to that, to that demand, to that lamentation even. You know, it really was like, you could feel the pain in it. And I think that's, it resonates with a lot of people. There's a lot of pain in this country. From the lockdowns to the printing to the inflation to the endless wars to the budget that's out of control to the drug addiction to the fentanyl crisis to the suicides to the decrease in life expectancy to the mandates classifying anyone that wanted to take the ivm as you know some sort of pseudoscientist horse paste eating lunatic inbred idiot you know that type of stuff you start talking to people like that, particularly when it came out two days ago that, in fact, now the FDA will authorize you to to uh, prescribe it. It's like, your track record ain't so hot, guys. So maybe you should stop talking down to us. You consider that, even for a moment? Do you have the humility to look in the mirror and ask yourself, have I been so correct that I have the moral authority to act in this authoritative fashion. Because I think if you're being honest with yourself, you should be able to look in the mirror and say, I need to do better. I shouldn't be condescending to these people any longer. And on the inverse of this, if you decide not to, well then you will start to see more and more aggressive populist movements along the lines of this song's narrative that it's us versus you and they're not wrong to feel that way so it's your choice choose wisely right anyways i'll get out of here on this one more narrative crumbled this week thanks to the the twitter exclusive the ex-exclusive Tucker Carlson. You've described this as an intelligence failure, but a failure is something that happens accidentally. None of the intelligence that was coming up talking about the storming of the Capitol, killing members of Congress, or killing my police officers, 
was ever discussed at the conference calls that I was on, at least. That doesn't seem to make sense at all. It doesn't make sense. I'm looking at my men and women having their asses handed to them, and, and my first thought was, fuck it, I will take whatever yep. discipline there is. Once things got out of control, for 71 minutes, Pelosi refused to allow you to bring in the National Guard. Why don't we have answers? It, it doesn't seem like people really want to get to the bottom. Of it. And it gets worse from there. I had a conference call with the leaders of all the law enforcement. It was a call I coordinated. Not one person on that call talked about any concerns for the, the intelligence, the attack on the Capitol, that we were seeing that was out there. That's what's, that's what's scary. This sounds like a setup to me. I'm sorry, it does. New Jersey State Police beat DC National Guard to the Capitol. Wait, cops drove from New Jersey before the National Guard could exactly. get from the armory on Capitol Hill to the Capitol? Why isn't this story everywhere? I have no idea. It's an hour-long interview. I watched the entire thing. Those were the highlights. Uh, honestly, like that's those are all the major takeaways. Um, and without coming to any dramatic conclusions, I'll just say this. It seems as if we were lied to, once again. And I think that there's plenty of evidence proving that case. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, but I will say this. That... That deception, paired with the Russiagate, paired with the COVID origin plus the treatment, the lockdowns, uh, look, I mean, uh, Burisma, like, just the list of deceptions and provable deceptions are ultimately, uh, they're, they're stacking up. They're stacking up. And I think that this moment, that song, this moment, just the broad kind of... Uh, political, I don't know, moment that we're in right now, the zeitgeist, if you will, is one of being absolutely and utterly fed up, just deeply, deeply fed up, pissed as a motherfucker, if I'm being honest. And as I've said, they're not wrong to feel that way. So I just think that I'm, I'm personally from my vantage point, maybe I'm wrong. But from my vantage point, I see us at an inflection point, at a tipping point where it's like the people really are starting to grasp how uh, not just unfair, but criminally wrong everything is. And the state's purpose at its at its best is to deal with acts of criminality where, you know, violence is brought up against people, force, fraud, coercion, like real negatives. On a, on a civilization. And if you refuse to do that, well, then you have no purpose whatsoever. Everything you provide to the people is ultimately a net negative, uh, just a negative period if you don't provide justice. And there's a, a cry for justice that's ringing out right now. So you can listen or you can ignore it. Your choice. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go?